Welcome to The Church Door, a place where I can post my Bible studies and sermons for your listening pleasure. I'm the Reverend Matthew Fenn, pastor of St. Peter's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Stratford, Ontario. Thanks for tuning us in. All right, welcome everybody to this morning's Bible class. So as you know, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, um, and we're just taking a pause for this week, and we're going, th- we're going to do a chapter. We're going to intersperse our, our deep dive in Luke with uh, uh, this book, Lutheranism 101, Worship. This is by Thomas Winger, Dr. Winger from our seminary. Um, I've sent out the study questions as they're printed in, this, in the book here. Um, if you happen to get yourself a copy, go ahead and do so. Otherwise, you can get a Kindle edition or you can just uh, listen in. Did anybody actually get a copy and read it ahead of time? Nobody. Okay. So that changes how I do the study. <laughs> so, um, so then think of these questions then as things I'm going to cover as we discuss things. Um, before we begin... Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord God, you have caused all the Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning. May we so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort offered by your Holy Word, we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Okay, so... What would you say is one of the m- most important top, uh, not important, divide, what, how do I say this? What, uh, what topic, very broad brush, general, did Jesus and the Pharisees debate about the most? If you were to take a guess. Traditions. Traditions. Uh, now, now put that with a with a W on the front. What traditions? <laughs> what <laughs> uh, worship? Right, worship and and and, uh, and worship specifically relating to specific traditions. If you have a Bible, turn with to Matthew fifteen verse nine. Somebody want to read that if they if they find it before Matthew fifteen verse nine. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Good. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts or commandments of men. So Jesus had debates with the Pharisees, and those debates often centered around worship, around traditions, and so we have this line here. Uh, when the Pharisees criticized Jesus' disciples for not eating, or for eating without ritually washing their hands, this is part of Jesus' response. And the Pharisees thought that they could please God, they could worship him through their traditions. Now, where did those traditions come from? Most of the time, the ones that Jesus criticizes. Are they in your Old Testament? Yes. 
No. They were elaborations of what was in the Old Testament. They are elaborations of what that was in the Old Testament. And that, um, that's what he means when he says, teaching as precepts the commandments of men. Right? Teaching as doctrines the commandments. Things that you're claiming that God told you, that God told you to do something when you just, you just made it up. Right? That's what he's saying. So, um, they had their own invented customs. And Jesus warns um, that self-chosen, self-chosen acts of worship are in vain and useless. Um, Melanchthon talks about this in the Apology, um, a really good little section. Uh, Philip Melanchthon, um, he says, Where we are made certain that rights instituted by men justify without God's commands, since nothing may be affirmed of God's will without his works. What if God does not approve of those services? How, fair, how therefore do the adversaries affirm that they justify? Without God's word or testimony, this can't be affirmed. Paul says, whatever does not come from faith is sin. Since these services have no testimony in God's word, consciences must doubt if they please God. So what, what's his point? Right. How things should be done. And so when we claim, um, and, and so how does that relate to, um, how does that relate to God's word? How do, if, if you make up something without God's word, Melanchthon says that you can't be sure if it pleases God, Right? How do you know what pleases God in terms of worship and, and these kinds of things? <laughs> it's in his word, right? That's how you can know. Anything else, you, you, you can't be absolutely sure. You can, well, I think God would like this. Well, <laughs> when you're worshiping the almighty true God, I think God would like this doesn't just quite, it just doesn't quite cut it, does it? <laughs> um, and, and do you, can you remember any circumstances where the Israelites did this, where they worshiped God according to their own imaginations and things didn't go so well. When Moses was up the mountain. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. When they, he came down the mountain and then they had, they had, uh, uh, the golden calf, right? Um, there's also other, other times uh, I can think of a couple. I can think of the priests who weren't authorized to, to um, give to, to make sacrifices, and they uh, they went in and offered strange fire, and uh, God doesn't take too kindly to that. So the point is, um, false worship does it includes what Mark has mentioned here: idolatry, worshiping false gods, right? But it also includes worshiping the true God the wrong way. Right? Let's look at a verse for that so you know I'm not making it up. Deuteronomy, Dr. Winger cites Deuteronomy 12.31 on that last point. Worshipping God the wrong way. Deuteronomy 
verse 31. Somebody read that once you have it. Deuteronomy 12, verse 31. Look at these pages of stuff and you can't let the strangers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Deuteronomy 12:31, someone have that? I do. All right. 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 So ESV there says you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. Right. So there's there's ways in which God does not want to be worshipped. Right. In this text, chief of which is human sacrifice of your children. So God doesn't want that. In case you were unaware of that little tidbit. There was a quote I heard seen years ago. It's kind of relevant here. God's word is truly kept when whatever is done is forgiven. Yeah, 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 that's right. Um, okay, so we want to not own, we, we don't want to worship false gods, and we want to worship God, to the true God, the right way. Uh, a way, and, and how do we know what that right way is? Well, it's, it's the way that Holy Scripture teaches and authorizes us to worship God. Um, and so this morning, we're going to look a little bit at the Old, the Old Testament and, and how, how did God tell his people to worship him in the Old Testament? And what can we, uh, although we're not in the Old Testament, what, what, test, what, 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 is, what, are, what are we in? We're not under the Old Covenant, we're in the, the New Covenant, right? So although we're in the New Covenant... And some of these direct precepts don't apply to us. We can learn something about what God likes and how God wants to be worshipped. Um, because the worship in the Old Testament, was it when it was done according to what God said, was it true worship? Yes. Absolutely. It was true worship of the true God, right? And so we can learn something from that. All right. The first thing is the tabernacle. Almost all of you should have a picture of the tabernacle. Take a look at it. Um, it's in your your flip the flip to the other page. I was thinking just of the story of the tabernacle. Yeah, well, there's there's many stories of the tabernacle. Um, the, tab- the tabernacle, the details are. The details are in Exodus, but I, but I sometimes, or they're Exodus 25 to 31. So there's six chapters that detail the tabernacle, which we don't have time to read. But you, sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. So as you, as you look at that, what's... Without just jogging your memories, what's the main purpose of this tabernacle? What, and, and do you remember what, what takes place during its daily services? Well, it's a place where God dwells. Yes. That, where, where does God dwell specifically in that tabernacle? On the Ark of the Covenant. 
And where is the Ark of the Covenant placed? In the, in the very back in the, of the tabernacle. That's right, in the very back of the tabernacle. And so this is the place where, where, where God dwells. That is why it's called the tent of meeting. Because God meets you there, right? This is where, God, this is where Moses meets, um, meets them. Um, and you know this was carried by the Israelites from tabernacle to tabernacle. What other, what other kinds of things take place in this tabernacle? Um, sacrifice. Sacrifices, right? Right just outside, just outside of it, right? There's a, there's a bronze altar, isn't there? Uh, right outside the front of the, the tabernacle. Okay, great. Um, what? Um, and... Also, sorry, going back to what Mark said, God was present there. He's also present because any time God showed up, what happened? A pillar of cloud came down and covered the tab- covered the, the the tabernacle, right, indicating that He was present. Um, by the way, in when in Ezekiel, when the Babylon the, the eve before the Babylonian armies destroy Jerusalem. Ezekiel has a vision of the cloud leaving the tabernacle, leaving the temple, leaving the most holies. And it never comes back until Jesus shows up. <laughs> right? So, so that cloud indicates God's presence. And it blesses the first, tem- it blessed the tabernacle and it blessed the temple when Solomon showed. Remember Solomon, when he's inaugurating it, he's praying this this very big prayer and the whole tabernacle is filled with this cloud of smoke okay so we have that what we have we have sacrifices um let's talk about those sacrifices um how often were those sacrifices done do you remember we've talked about this recently i thought it was daily daily yep daily how how, how much daily in the morning in the morning and and in the evening, it's a twice a day sacrifice. Remember, we talked about this. It's a, a male lamb is offered with a whole with a, with grain and a drink offering. And what did you do with the lamb and the bread that you would make and the wine that you would offer? It was food for the priests. It was food for the priests. Part of it you would burn, and the other part would be eaten by the priests. Um, and then what happened with the blood from the lamb? Do you guys remember? What did they do with that? Didn't they sprinkle it on the altar? Yes, good. They, spl- they sprinkled it on the altar. They didn't put it on the people. <laughs> Interestingly, they put it on the altar. Um, and, okay, so what other kinds of things took place um, in the tabernacle? They, they worshipped absolutely. So, what are kind of, what are some, what are a few things that might go along with worship? Prayer, prayer, great. So there were priestly prayers. Um, if you look at um, the picture, there should be. So, it, um, when the priests go in daily, what do they do when they go in? They offer something in, so when they go inside the tabernacle. They don't. 
Incense, absolutely. Yep. So there's prayers, there was incense, and the, all right. And um, thinking differently, what other kinds of things would you have in worship? Think big picture here. There would be psalms sung by the priests and the Levites. Um, your psalm, your your psalms are the the word, the hymnal of the temple and the tabernacle, collected throughout the ages, right? So so, um, and there would be um, a blessing, right? It's what we put at the end of our service. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious unto you. That's that blessing is from the Old Testament. That's the Aaronic benediction. And then later on, in the second in the um, in the second temple period, second temple. What's the second temple? The well, part. No, when we talk about the second temple period, that's Herod's. Herod's temple, right? That's that's the New Testament temple. During that period, they would also add um, their uh, the Jewish creed, which comes from Deuteronomy six. Let's look that up. I want you to see that. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. They used to say this creed daily. And they still do, uh, Jews to this day. Um, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, and 5 and 6. 4 through 6. Somebody have that? Read it when you get Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 6. Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. Right, so that is called the Shema from the first word in Hebrew here. Um, and that's their creed. That, that's the creedal statement that, they, that they, they pray. So you can see Summarizing this, you have the temple worship, the tabernacle worship. There are sacrifices. The blood is pouring out. You have prayers. You have incense to accompany the prayers. You have psalms of praise and thanksgiving sung. You, you have a sacrificial banquet that's eaten in the temple courts. And the priests having fellowship with God through eating the meal. And that meal, by the way, includes eating a lamb and bread and wine. Uh, I, I wonder where else we hear of eating bread and wine. It's not that doesn't come up later, does it? Um, um, and you have the, the the priestly blessing, and then the the Jews later add. Actually, sorry, the Jews later add also the 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 recitation of the Ten Commandments and also this creed found in Deuteronomy six, and that's that gives you a snapshot of the tabernacle. Uh, worship. Um, um, so the, the first, so we, we answered the first question here. Um, um, we've, we answered the first question under study questions, but question five, we're now in a place to answer question five. Look, when you look at that layout, what's God teaching through its arrangement? And what, what's he teaching through uh, how this is laid out and the different uh, um, sections and divisions 
divided by curtains and walls. What do you think some, some lessons you can get from this? The order of power to do things. Like God's presence was in the very holy of holies. Yeah, so there's, a, there's an order to things, absolutely. That's, that's certainly it. Separation not only of God from man, but from man, from man, from man. That's, that's right, separation. And what's the basis of what's the... What, what, why did there have to be that separation? There didn't have to be, but Adam and Eve caused Right, <laughs> right, yes. And, and what's the, the three-letter word that, that we... Sin. Sin, right. So sin is what makes this separation. Um, by the way, why... <laughs> is the blood put upon the altar because it's cleansing this spot of sin so that God can dwell here. <laughs> um, and sin kind of is like a, uh, is almost viewed as a, as a contaminant that gets in and blood is your detergent, which cleans, cleans it away. That's almost the image in the Old Testament that you have. What other things can we learn about this from the, um, from this tabernacle. Uh-huh. Yeah, we, there's, there's, there's some. Um, there's it, it. It's funny. So, so, so we when we also believe that that God is present. In 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 where is the quote unquote holy of holies to use that term. In, in our church during divine service? On the altar. It's on the altar. Now, what's the difference between their altar and our altar? Or not their altar, their holy of holies and our holy of holies, so to speak. The lack of a curtain. The lack of a curtain. Oh, yes. Right? And do, who gets access to the holy of holies in the Old Testament? Just the high priest. Just the high priest. And how often? Once. Once a, a year. Once a year. Right? And how and you get access to God's presence at the divine service every time we gather together for worship, and you and, and there's no curtain. There's no. What's fascinating is in the Middle Ages there were curtains. <laughs> they put the curtain back up. They kept people from the altar. You did not get communion, and they put up these big wooden screens called rood screens. That and. Um, if you ever seen a medieval church, you'll see these. There's this big wooden, often decorative screen wall almost that that keeps people away from communion. Um, just kind of similar in the Eastern Orthodox Church with the iconostasis. Right. Yep. So, all right. So we've got we've done. Um, so through. Through this tabernacle worship, and it, that reflects into the temple worship, God promises to, to be with his people, to, to forgive their sins, to make them holy, to bless them. Um, great. Let's move on to the next question. Now we're going to talk about the festivals. We're going to talk about the, the festivals. There are, there are three main festivals Let's see if let's see how good your memories are here. What what do you can you name me some of the big festivals? I think you can probably get two if you think about it pretty good. I'm saying Passover. Passover, great, absolutely. Feast of the Tabernacles. Good.
Good. Um, yes, absolutely. What was, did you say? The Feast of Tabernacles, absolutely. There's another one. Feast Weeks. Weeks, which is also called Pentecost, right? 50 days after Penta 5, 50 days after Passover. Um, it's great. So you have Passover, you have Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, and um, we've mentioned the Feast of Booths, which is a minor feast. Um, we're missing um, one more. Still celebrated to this day. Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur the Day of Atonement. Um, that comes at the end of the Feast of Trumpets. It's, isn't that considered the Jewish New Year to, to this day? I think so. Um, all right, so let's jump through those. What happens um, first? When, when is Passover? This, this is, if you don't know any other date of, the, of any of the other um, festivals, there's one you need to know. And that is Passover. Why do we? Why do you need to know um, the name of Passover or the date of Passover? Because it also sets the date of Easter. Well, yes, and it also sets the date of Jesus's death, right? Because he died on a specific day on the Jewish calendar. That day is the fourteenth day of Nisan. Right? Jesus is the fourteenth day of Nisan is Passover, and that is the day that Jesus dies. Okay, so what happens in Passover, the festival? Do you remember? Well, they put the blood around their door. In the first Passover, they did, absolutely. But they, they didn't do that after the first one. <laughs> clean, all the, clean all of the yeast out of the house. Clean all the yeast out of the house. And what else did they do in, in Passover? There were there were sacrifices of lambs and you would eat, you would have a big, large communal meal with a lamb. Um, and you would have, what kind of bread would you have? Unleavened bread uh, and bitter herbs. And, and you would have stories told of the Passover in the Old Testament. Um, and, um, and it goes on for seven weeks. And at the end, you have the Feast of first fruits. Um, which is the, the, the first fruits of the barley harvest. Um, okay, what's the feast of Pentecost? This one's a bit harder. It's, um, it's, the, it's the feast for the grain harvest, um, but it's also the day where they remember the giving of the law. All right, so that, that the Feast of Pentecost is when you gave, when the giving of the law. It's interesting if you look, take, take a look sometime, go to the giving of the law, and remember Mark already talked about how with Moses, the, 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 the golden calf period, look at how many people were killed when Moses came down from the golden calf. Then jump over to Acts and see how many people were saved on the first day of Pentecost. Tell me, somebody should do that and tell me what they find out with those two numbers. Because <laughs> they're identical. It's like three, some, some 3,000 people 
are killed on, at, at the day uh, on when because of the golden calf incident. But then on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament, three thousand people are saved. It, it's a mirror. It's a mirror image. Anyway, that's a little tidbit for you. Okay, and then we've got the feast of the Day of Atonement. What happens on the Day of Atonement? This one we're pretty familiar with, I think. Yes, this is the scapegoat one. What's the what's the what, how does the scapegoat thing work? Do you guys remember? They put all the sins on the goat and they chase them out of the community and the sins are taken away. But yeah, and they, they they sacrificed one and sent one out into the into the forest, the day of atonement. That's right. Um, and then you also have the feast of booths. Um, that's the one where they 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 make shelters out of tree branches and such, palms and whatnot. And they live for seven days um, to remind them of the wilderness wanderings. Okay, so, so that's a review, brief review of the festivals in the Old Testament. Um, so we've kind of answered that question number two. Uh, um, we didn't do um, six... Let's do that one. Let's go back to the tabernacle just for a sec. I think we, we understand this. Uh, we don't, no, we don't need to read that. So that's a big chunk. We don't have a lot of time. But let's just answer the question. What did Jesus do to make those old divisions in the tabernacle obsolete? What, what did he do? He died on the cross and rose again. Absolutely. What does Jesus still do for us? He's the mediator between God and man. And Hebrews almost depicts Jesus as going into uh, the, the heavenly sanctuary and offering his own blood on your behalf, pray, pleading for you, praying for you, offering that sacrifice for you. Okay, great. Now, let's discuss number seven. Discuss the significance of the fact that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He died on the cross and rose from the dead during Passover. What's the point? Why does Jesus die at Passover? Because his sacrifice replaced the sacrifice of the lambs at the first Passover. Right. So... Right. So, the Israelites were saved from what? The death of the firstborn child. Right, and, and also their, and also what were they delivered from? The tyranny of Egypt. The tyranny, the slavery to Egypt. And so, what are we? What? How, what? What? Are, because of Jesus' death, what are we saved from? Our sin. Our sin. That's one. I'm looking for three. Sin, death, and the devil. There you go. Those are the three things that have you captive, right? Sin, death, and the devil. Um, And so Jesus frees you from sin, death, and the devil. Just like Moses frees Egypt, the Israelites, from their slavery in Egypt. Where you're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer uh, a slave to death. You're no longer, right, a slave to the devil. Jesus breaks those those bonds. This is the new Exodus with a new Israel and a new people of God. Great. Um, 
Great. Let's talk about the Sabbath. What's the Sabbath? Yeah, let's look this one up. Genesis chapter 2. Just because we need more Bible. This is a hard, this one's a bit of a hard lesson because we're covering so much of the Old Testament at once. Um, so Genesis chapter 2, uh, verses um, do, 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 1 through 3. I'll read this one. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done. Okay. So, now, so, so, at its basic day, what day of the week is, is the Sabbath? Saturday, the seventh day of the week, Saturday. Um, and what is involved in the Sabbath? What? It's a day of rest. It's a day of rest, absolutely. What else is involved? And a day of worship. And a day, a day of rest and a day of worship, absolutely. Those are the two things. Um, Leviticus 23, verse 3. Somebody want to read that? Leviticus 23, verse 3. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath, a solemn rest, a holy convocation. And you shall not work. It is the Sabbath to the Lord in all your lives. Right. So a holy convocation. That's the key word. The people were not just, it's not just a day off from work. It's a day, to, it was a day of worship. In fact, um, if you were to look at Numbers 28, 9, and 10, you would see that the, on, on Sabbath, the daily sacrifices were doubled. Right? So you, add, you, you offer twice as much sacrifice on that day. And the word of God is proclaimed. There is study and prayer. So, what is the third commandment? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What does this mean? Oh, goodness. We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and God's word, but hold it sacred, gladly hear and learn it. We need remedial catechism memory here. Hey, you know what? That would be a good idea. It would. All right, so that's why you can see now where Luther's grabbing this from. What's the, the purpose of the Sabbath is not just rest for rest's sake, is it? It's a, per, it's a day to, to stop resting so you can, do, you can stop working so you can do something else. And that's worship God. So, um, looking at question eight. How has the observance of Sunday as a day of rest changed in your lifetime? And do you think those changes are good or bad? <laughs> it's not a day of rest. Is that, a, is that good or bad, do you think? Not bad. Bad? Bad? Everybody thinks it's bad? <laughs> and um, 
what is the danger when Christians think of Sabbath, whether Saturday or Sunday, as simply a day where they shouldn't work? What's the danger to that? That they lose sight of God. They lose sight of God. Right? You break the first commandment. You break the first... Right. That's right, because... You're not putting God above everything else. Including hockey. Not hockey. (laughs) They're saying it ain't so, Murray. (laughs) And, and, And that's... Um, yeah, so that, and that's that's po- important. All right, what's the actual time here, Mark? Uh, Nine thirty-eight. Perfect. All right. Um, and another point um, to talk about um, a review of my newsletter from a while ago. How often? Did people in the Old Testament pray? Do you guys remember? Think Every of day. how many times? At least twice. At least twice? Sure, I'll, I'll accept that. But think about the story of Daniel in the lion's den. What does it say? Do you guys remember that? Let's look at that. Daniel 6, verse 10. We're not asking how much Christians have, but just how much the Old Testament saints have. Daniel 6, verse 10. Someone read that when you got it. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Daniel 6, verse 10. Someone got it? When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had, where he, where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Right. So the Jews typically prayed three times a day at the times of the morning and evening sacrifice and also at noon. And they prayed towards Jerusalem. Why? Because that's where God lived right that's where god dwelt um um, and we saw in my newsletter um that the early the 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 apostles often go to the temple at the regular hours of prayer peter even after he's a christian during the cornelius thing he's praying at these specific times of prayer and that this gets into the early church and into the uh, and um uh, we still encourage Christians to pray in the morning and in the evening, right? That's why you have your catechism prayers, right? You have the two prayers, one for the morning and one for the evening, right? All right. And we've already talked about the Psalms being um, um, the hymnal of the Old Testament. Where in the Old Testament do you find an outline of synagogue worship? You won't find it in your Old Testament. Synagogue was invented during the exile. Once they didn't have a temple, they needed to come up with a different way to worship. And so they came up with synagogue. Okay. So the synagogue worship then um, happened on, on, on Sabbath. 
Um, you, a synagogue could be started when there were 10, 10 Jewish men, and they would get together for God's word and prayer. Um, they would also get together on feast days and different things. Okay, so here's the kinds, here are some of the things that they did in the Sabbath or in, this, in the synagogue. They recited the, their creed, the Shema, as we read. They prayed. There was a benediction. There was a reading from a three-year series of readings. Not even joking. And the three-year series went through the Pentateuch and the rest of the Old Testament. After the reading, there was preaching on the text. They sang psalms and they had some final prayers with with a blessing. What does that sound like to you? A very long service. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but what, what does it remind you of? Right. Our service oh. of the word. Our service of the word. In fact, um, if you take the service of the word, remember that's, that's the service from the opening psalm, which we call the introit, up until the prayer of the church. Right? That structure goes back to the early church and they got it. They adopted the synagogue worship form into their worship, right? Um, and, and that's what the Jews were used to. That's what they were used to. And, 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 and how did that get spread into the non-Jewish regions like Italy, Rome, these places? Right? When Paul goes into a city, where does he go first? The synagogue. Because there were already Gentiles throughout the Roman Empire who joined up with the synagogue. But they didn't want to um, go the whole way, so to speak, because um, it involved a hefty sacrifice. Um, <laughs> um, and so, but they were called the God-fearers because they would join... They feared God, but they didn't want to commit the whole way. And so they were already familiar with synagogue worship. That spread already throughout the Roman Empire. And so it's very easy then to piggyback on that. And Christian worship develops uh, out of that. You have the, the readings of the Old Testament along with the readings of the writings of the Apostles. You have psalm singing, you have prayers for the people, you have preaching through, um, a preaching on the word, um, and you have, so our, 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 our service of the word comes directly from the synagogue worship, and that's why it's structured that way. And even if you were to go to a, a service that's not liturgical, if you were to go to uh, any American prop, a Protestant church, it will. They will all still loosely follow that that thing. There'll be scripture readings. There'll be singing of songs. There'll be prayers. There'll be preaching on the word. You will find so throughout the Christian church, um, the order of worship that we have comes from the the Bible and comes from uh, the, the the Jews. Um, 
Okay, great. I think that's our time. Uh, any questions on Old Testament worship? In a couple weeks, we'll, we'll do chapter 2. Um, I'm not, we'll go back to Luke next week. Um, if you're wanting to read ahead, next week we're going to... Let me just look where we are. Did we... You've been listening to The Church Door. Thanks again for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, you can reach me, Pastor Matthew Fenn, at revfenn, R-E-V-F-E-N-N, at iCloud.com. Look forward to having you with us again next time.